Welcome to Boundless Pursuit, a weekly podcast providing motivation, entertainment, and education to anglers and outdoorsmen. I hope that the stories you'll find here will encourage you to chase your passion more fervently, to open your mind to new opportunities and perspectives. Your engagement and feedback is critical to the growth of this show, and I would love to hear your suggestions on topics or potential guests. You can reach me at boundlesspursuitfishing at gmail.com or at my website, www.boundless-pursuit.com. That's where you'll find all related articles, media, and merchandise. Please remember, the show will gain traction from your support. Be sure to like, comment, and share this podcast to your friends and connections. I'm your host, David Graham. Now let's get on to today's episode. You know, in keeping with the theme of intrepidation and just diversity, today's guest is hot off the trail of a phenomenal 2022. And along the list of my personal bucket list, one of the more attainable might be the pursuit of lake sturgeon through the ice. And in searching that topic, I ran across today's guest, Jake Didier, a talented carp angler and sturgeon connoisseur. Jake boasts some very impressive catches, and he masks the smile of a very happy angler behind a gnarly, unkempt man beard. But in following Jake, it's like he had some kind of reckoning, and he went absolutely ballistic the latter part of 2022. He threw all caution to the wind and headed to South America to Bolivia to chase his dream species, the Arapaima. And that's just a dream destination for many of us, myself included. And flying back to the States, he didn't let the jet lag get to him. He didn't slow down at all. He immediately set his sights on Texas for the mighty alligator gar. And with a narrow window of time on what was essentially just an extended layover, he managed to catch not one but several of North America's largest predatory species. But there was no time to waste because from there he essentially carried on out west and headed to Idaho with his sights set on yet another giant freshwater fish, the white sturgeon. So in very short order, one after another in rapid succession, Jake managed to knock out multiple freshwater monster fish, capping off an amazing year. I had an awesome time talking with Jake, and his passion for the sport is genuine and undeniable. And I think the way that he articulates that in this call is easy for anybody to recognize. And just being that this is all so recent, the newness and the freshness of this experience just rolls off the tongue in conversation, and he paints a very awesome picture of a guy that's still early in the stages of his travels, and what I'm sure will be a lifelong endeavor of travel and fishing going forward. If you have any interest or hopes of answering similar calls to adventure, I know you're going to enjoy listening to this one. Don't ask me to speak French. I, I barely speak proper English, so. But, uh, all right, well. Jake on the Lake Didier. Welcome to the show. Glad to get you on here. Uh, I've been watching your stuff uh, for a while now on the outside looking in. At first, I knew you as like the carp guy. Then I knew you mm -hmm. as the guy that's catching sturgeon through the ice. I'm like, that's going to be my, you know, because I, I went through this period kind of like middle of last year where I just like, I got this idea in my mind that I really want to go catch a lake sturgeon through the ice. And then I found you. I'm like, mm -hmm. I think like, you know, I always want to have like my guy, you know what I mean? Like somebody I reach out to, somebody that seems interesting, somebody that seems like down to earth and relatable. I'm like, that's going to be 
my sturgeon through the ice guy. And then oh. I don't know, dude, we'll, we'll get into it. I want to start with the sturgeon thing, but dude, you're, you went on a freaking tear last year and I, we, yeah. we got to get onto that. But, uh, but man, uh, let's start with the, with the, with the sturgeon thing, or at least let's start with how did, how did that, like, how did you progress as an angler to catching these well, big old sturgeon through the ice? I mean, I still haven't caught a, a truly big one myself, but I put my friends on some good fish and I put the hours in. Maybe it'll happen. We got the few season last for the year. But when I was younger, I think I was the same with everybody. We started off with our panfish and our bass. Yeah. And uh, the the specific turning point for me as an angler that I remember is I was down at this lake, Lake Lahamadu in Alexandria, Minnesota, fishing with my brother in this boat tunnel and we would take tossing these yam craw tubes, you know, with the jig heads pushed up in the middle. And we were out there chasing bass with the little craw tubes and everything, little young craw tubes, casting them into the boat tunnels, you know, as kids do. And I hook into this big old carp and it just tears right out of the boat tunnel and just keeps going into the main lake. And I was a young kid at this time. I was probably about eight and just learning about drag and all this, you know, (laughs) but I remember going home going on the internet and i just that night kind of was just a turning point i started fishing carp i found the carp anglers group.com all mm-hmm. these forums back in the day you remember forums and yeah. all that oh, yeah. and you will find me to this day you can uh find me on the carp anglers group making posts so i i remember that uh yeah i remember carp anglers group pretty well i was intimidated by that crowd because no, they know. They, yeah, they know they know their stuff, but I was I was on that forum. Those were the those that was the glory days of fishing oh, 100%. media. Yeah, like that 100%. was like that was when everybody went to the internet to like find and share information, not find mm-hmm. and share how to like be a insta celebrity. I miss those days. But anyway, oh, yeah. I don't want to go off on a tangent still- here. But yeah, I mean, that one fish, I came back and I started joining those forums. And ever since then, I've always been more or less chasing the adrenaline and the bend of the rod than the actual, you know, sport fish. And I mm-hmm. kept pro- progressing from there. And I want to say it was seven years ago, I took my first trip to the Rainy River. Initially, first time to get a sturgeon through the ice was unsuccessful, but I went back again that spring and got. I also brought out the kayak, if I remember correctly, my first year. And then I got the sturgeon in the kayak, just a small one, you know. Yeah, that's cool. That, just, that sent that snowball effect into motion. And, uh, yeah, to this day, you know, sturgeon are my number one. I, I will hit those the first points of the year, April into May. Then the flatheads now. I got bit by that flathead fever two years <laughs> ago. That's been a that's been a big time waster a lot of hours on the river there but yeah (laughs) and then you know it just keeps snowballing you keep looking for that next bigger bite and as like this year i was dreaming of catching our since i was a kid i think a lot of us who grew up watching jeremy wade or any of those shows have always dreamed of our so i mean it was it was prior to covid steve ryan had posted he's an editor for in fisherman and whatnot Hey, does anybody want to go on air Pima trip? I was like, God, I'd love to go, but you know, I can't afford it right now. You know, but out of curiosity, I messaged them. How much is this going to cost? Well, heard the numbers, knew I couldn't make it happen, but then here comes COVID, you know, 
And then, uh, you know, I think a lot of us who were working in the retail industry or the food service industry, I took, you know, we were getting that oh, surpluses or whatever. So I saved that, invested that. And then two years goes by, Steve Ryan posts again, like, hey, who's still serious? Well, now I got the money, so I'm not telling you no, right? Right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and then from there, it just kind of, everything just seemed to kind of work out. You know, the lady told me, you know, hey, I see you're going to be going through Houston on your flight back, you know? So she's like, what if I drive to Houston, meet you at the airport, pick you up, and we go to the Trinity River? So perfect you know I, we have, I i have a lot of questions about each of these type of fish so i want to get into all of these things in depth mostly because i feel like uh -huh. i feel like i'm a step behind you as far as like making that leap to do because you you you've done i'll just throw this out there like on a global scale of all the places in the world that there is to go fishing guyana like and and that trip you took is my number one and i feel like i've sort of been in like right there as well where like maybe the finances were there but then i lacked the discipline to not spend it on something stupid or maybe the finances mm -hmm. there but the covid thing came and now i feel like there's nothing in my way so i really want to deep dive on that but i don't want to get away from i don't want to cannonball straight into that you know what i mean because like i said mm -hmm. You, you obviously worked your way up to that level, but the mm -hmm. sturgeon thing is, is a, a, it's one I keep coming back to. These are lake sturgeon, right? Because I mean, yep, I can say sturgeon, sturgeon and people are going to wonder what we're talking about. Yeah, lake, lake sturgeon. sturgeon. And I mean, are you doing that? What I, what, I want to talk about this because you, you, mm -hmm. you obviously, you do it from boats, you do it from the bank, you do it in a lot mm -hmm. of different ways for these these lake sturgeon but i'm really interested in the ice fishing for them and now mm -hmm. i'm seeing these photos that you're posting of what looks like a little like custom built shack i mean tell me about that thing i did, did you build that yourself i mean is that like been like um, a nice little passion project of yours like where'd that come from i uh essentially i got tired of uh what most sturgeon anglers do they're gonna set up a hub they're gonna put their foam floors down like inch tall foam mats their heaters their everything and I was doing that. I've been doing that for five years now. I've been ice fishing sturgeon. And it just, you know, as you get older, it gets more backbreaking. So the opportunity came along from a buddy to trade. Well, I had a bunch of stuff he wanted for my fishing gear. And I was just like, well, you know, I'll trade you this portable and this and this for this, you know, fish house and throw you 500 bucks or something like that. So I think I'm into this fish house like 1500 bucks. But then I went and bought, you know, we typically have 10 inch holes, you know, they're, they're about like that. And then you've got your covers on top. And I just wanted something, you know, I could drop it down. I could cut. What we do is we Mickey Mouse these holes for sturgeon. So you could still cut your initial hole and you'll cut two ears essentially and overlap them. And that gives you that much larger hole. So I went and I got these. 18 by 20 boat hatches. I cut out the floor, threw those boat hatches down. So now I just got some very large holes to try and fit some very large fish through. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, have you, did you, have you ever had a situation? I don't know. I'm like some guy from the South. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, if, if it drops below 60, I'm like, I'm like shivering. 
So like ice yep. fishing is something that I know I'd struggle with just because I'm like a little pansy in the cold. But I <laughs> oh, I, I, like, I have to like I have to experience it because it's like it's such a different kind of challenge. But I like when I look at ice fishing pictures mm-hmm. and it's just like it just looks like you're at this open massive expansion of just white. How do you find the fish? Like wh- how do you determine I mean, I'm asking like ultra novice questions here, like, and I'm imagine a lot of people listening, like, you know what I mean? Like, t- mm-hmm. tell me like you're teaching someone who's never done it before. But, like, how do you determine where you're gonna stop, set up, and and drill a hole in the ice? Like, what? How do you know where? Like, you can't see features. It's just a big old sheet of ice. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, especially up here, our popular app is uh, Navionics. So a lot of guys will have their Navionics or they'll have their charts right on their fish finders and whatnot. But for sturgeon specifically, um, what I, what I target is early season. There's, there's a popular hole. There's always is we got a warm water discharge down there. So that brings the shad and early season, a lot of sturgeon to that area. And then later in the season, as that progresses, they seem to pull off that. So then you're starting to look at the your maps and you're trying to find these little defining features, these little holes or say a feeding flat. Like just recently, I decided I'm done with holes and I'm going to try and move up into this 20 feet of water, this large flat and yeah. see if maybe they're moving up in the evenings. Um, so there are ways to find structure and especially now with the change in technologies, we have stuff like pan optics, you know, I think you guys use it down south a lot for your bait fishing and everything. Yeah. I watch guys like Milton. He goes and catches shad with the cast net with them and stuff. But you have, we have tools that are at our disposal, I guess one would say, to find these structures. And then, you know, even then, you know, sturgeon fishing is kind of a lot like musky fishing in a way that you are putting in hours and hours of time for maybe a bite. And, like specifically one of my friends ella who has probably been the hottest hand on the ice this year or elaine i should say my bad uh she's just recently got a 67 inch through the ice this last week just nuts like insane (laughs) but what did she tell me they have 393 hours on the ice so far this season specifically Mm -hmm. for sturgeon and that's just that's crazy that's a lot of hours you know oh yeah oh you know, you can have all the tools at your disposal when it comes to sturgeon and still come wine short or just get on them too. So it comes Not down how, to I mean, like that. the other thing I, I like when I look at the videos or look at pictures, I, I'm always kind of taken back by the small little rods and reels. But you're talking about a fish that gets like, I mean, where what is like the top end size of one of these things? Uh, top end size, the biggest we have. And, uh, Probably a popular fish, one could say. We've got this state record fish that just comes through consistently. And she's 77, 78 inches long. Mm. So, you know, that's a 110, 120-year-old fish and, you know, over that 100-pound range. And then, you're, as you said, you're bringing them in on these little yeah. short rods <laughs> that are, you know, in their best-case scenario, like at the very longest, they're 48 inches. Most of these guys are fishing 36 to 42 so you can imagine the the lack of of a length of the rod you you really feel those head shakes too yeah you know it's it's fun 
Not going to lie. Oh, I just wonder, like, when they're heading, like, away, is, is your line not, like, peeling over the side of the hole? Like, is it cutting into the ice? Like, I, I mean... That, that is very much a possibility because I, you know, especially as the season gets later in the year and the ice gets thicker, you know, early season, you can just bury your rod in the ice and you're fine. But there was a, uh, there was a time we had a 48 inch and we were battling through the ice, but we had like, we had like over two feet of ice. We got to the point we were taking off our coats because this power pro, we were fishing 40 pound power pro was just burning into the bottom of the ice and just catching, catching, catching. And that's, you know, yeah. good way to lose a fish. So we're, we got our shirts off and it's, it's cold. We don't have the shack out or nothing. We're just, we just drove down there to sit on the ice and yeah, we got our shirts off. We're down in the ice, but down to our shoulders and yeah, it can get wild. You know, a lot of variables in fighting those guys. I always wonder, well, you know what? Maybe people do this. I should have looked into it. It's like when I look at those holes and then I just think like, I, I just see line almost to the point of being able to like, you know, cause ice can be sharp. I'm like, can you get cut off by the ice itself? And like, why would they not make almost like a liner that you could pop in the hole, like a plastic? A they lot have of guys, like that? they'll chip away at the bottom of the ice. But I mean, in all, all reality, in my experience, you know, usually you sit in a spot long enough that it's naturally naturally kind of smooths out from the warm air warming this mm. water up here and you know yeah i've never personally lost i can't say that i've ever lost a fish to an actual cut in the ice but the nice thing about our mickey mouse holes as i was kind of describing earlier you, yeah yeah you're not so much going straight down you're going at a slightly outward angle and that allows you know to give that extra taper which helps turn that fish on the way up and prevent of course, line getting caught in the ice. So. Well, I I would be so concerned about like going out there doing that hooking into the fish of a lifetime, the one you've been waiting on your whole life, and then the damn thing doesn't fit through the hole. So you're just, just watching it within arm's reach and can't get it out of there. Like, <laughs> like oh, oh yeah, my. It, grab it, the it, saw. Like, yep. <laughs> there's actually videos on YouTube. Our state record fish was caught on on video. Darren Troseth. Yeah. But he got it up to the hole, and they actually had to drill. They were just fishing a, just a side-by-side -side hole, so two-by-two yeah. two hole. And I think he, maybe he fishes a 10-inch auger. So you're you're figuring you got a 20-inch hole there. But still couldn't do it. They had to drill three or four extra holes, call somebody to come help them to help them drill holes. And, yeah, it's 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 happened. It definitely has. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so. man, maybe that shouldn't be the worst thing I, mean, I don't know i can think of a lot worse situations happening like i don't know i went straight to that but like more so when i think of ice fishing like i think of like some of the hazards i don't know it's probably ignorance or just like thinking into it too much it's just like people who ask about aren't you worried about alligators down in florida and like not at all but uh <laughs> yeah. i like think of ice fishing like i see people drive their vehicles onto it i mean how did how does that work do, do, can you just access these lakes from anywhere do you drive down like what's normally a boat ramp during the warmer seasons like is there yeah. designated like ice access points and like how do you determine if it's safe or not is there like government officials that say you're permitted to enter that, the ice now like how does how the hell does that work sadly that's not how it works it's uh pretty <laughs> much it's probably you know, better you don't want too much 
we don't want too much involved. regulation. We've yeah, already called the land of 10,000 lakes and 10,000 lots. So, right. But yeah. no, it, it basically comes up to your own personal judgment. You know, there's some people that'll go out earlier than others, but you know, it's, it's always a risk and ice is, ice is never truly safe. You know, there's times when I will like right now, I'm confident, you know, I have a lighter rig, you know, most places I've been hit pretty hard with the cold this past couple weeks and despite the warmer weather now it's still going to hold pretty well but there's guys that i know that won't even be driving out on the river this year for that reason so it very much comes down to you got to go out test your holes you'll see guys they'll come out that we've got some of them got the ice readers that just measure the thickness of the ice Mm. otherwise we'll chop holes check chop holes check because you know, going down is not a fun situation, usually not covered by insurance, and it's very costly. So, yeah, well, what, what gets me too? I'm not I'm, I don't want to venture off topic, but it's like this one keeps going through my head. I see the pictures in the videos where people go like, uh, what do you call it? Spearing, gigging, mm-hmm. getting them with like a pitchfork and sturgeon. I mean, are you seeing these things swim past the hole? Is it really that kind of visibility? I mean, or is that more like a shallow? I can't speak too much to the Winnebago system. That's the only place where the spearing happens. Uh, But I do know that the Winnebago season uh, system is quite a bit shallower. Uh, And they target those main channels and whatnot. So, I mean, I've watched the documentaries and you see them come through pretty well, but where I'm fishing, you know, you're in 20, 30 feet of water. You don't see them. Yeah. Uh, You know, there are some rivers around Minnesota that have sturgeon that may offer sight fishing opportunities for them in the future as they, well, specifically like the Otter Tail River we have is one of our growing kind of projects to re- bring the sturgeon back and we're starting to see some pretty decent fish come out of there even during the ice fishing season we got a lot of guys that are pulling them out of the otter tail chain and could possibly be the next recreational fishery within our state so yeah well so like i don't know i i think of an animal that that can get that big like what what is like the hardware you're working with like the the, the kind of hook that you're contending with what could be like a hundred 50 pound fish like hook bait like the kind of hardware you're putting because you're it's just interesting to me you're kind of fighting them vertically mm-hmm. so there's so much torque i'm guessing being put on the fish like what what are you having to put down there for these fish um typically it's smaller than one might think you know a lot of these guys it's a grow it's a growing sport as it goes mm-hmm. but for the past few years a lot of these guys would just grab you know your little walleye spoons because the goal is, you know, where we're fishing, there's not a lot of current. So they, you know, sturgeon being sensitive as they are, as little weight as possible. So right now, specifically, I'm fishing with half ounce sinkers to with a bunch of beads to a small J hook about yay big. Just enough okay. you can pack with a bunch of worms. It's not as big of gear as you would expect. Your main, uh, your main heaviness is in your rods and stuff. But that's where you see your your actual weight but like line you know 30 30 pound line is very common for these ice angling guys you know and they're using 3000 and 4000 series reels so typically you know those size reels if you're getting 20 pounds of drag you know 
you're you're doing pretty good. I'm yeah. fishing with five five thousand, so I get that thirty pounds of drag. But you know, you can get them with that lighter stuff, and a lot of people and a lot of the big fish come that way. So I, I'd rather play it safe. I ain't gonna be yeah, throwing a I'm light light boat. tackle. I mean, what are the what are these things fighting like? I mean, are they ripping off a bunch of drag? Are they just kind of rolling around? Is it like what is it? You know how? I mean, is it more like a catfish, or are these things like a shark? So, I I find it so funny. There's like an almost defined line on you know your size of the sturgeon. A, a sturgeon smaller than forty eight inches will almost all always sit there and just do this. Yeah, and just shake its head and you know whatever. If it gets bigger than that, somehow you know it's like a trigger gets flipped, and it's just like they're drag burners. They can just you know give you head shakes that dang near rip your arm off and you know at some point when they're running they're dang near unstoppable you know it's pretty oh, crazy yeah. <laughs> like i i don't know what it is but i've i've caught fish that are literally three inches in difference and they fought night and day different it was wild no that's awesome and th- those things are so cool looking like i don't know it's mm-hmm. uh, you know it's I want to do more sturgeon fishing as it is. I like, I actually kind of have some loose plans right now to do the white sturgeon thing in March. If nothing falls through with that. I mean, I've got the time Well, with me. It's more or less. Will I have the experienced person to accommodate me or am I going to have to go out there and like just totally DIY it? Cause one way or another, I want to, I want to knock that one off this year, but yeah, I'll uh, tell you what, it was pretty easy to DIY. One thing I will say, you know, like our first night, we weren't fishing with any locals out there. That's when I lost my biggest fish. And yeah. that was, that was an experience, but you know, it's, it's, you know, if you've catfished, you can sturgeon fish. Uh big thing is when you go to Idaho, you got to follow those rules and regulations. They're very strict yeah. on their rig yeah. and the fact that the weight has to be able to break off and whatnot. But man, most of, most of those spots where, uh, like we fished Swan Falls, we fished uh, Salmon Falls. We're very accessible for you know the shore-based angler, and uh, I'll be going out there probably. Uh, I'll fish a full lake sturgeon season before I go out. Probably late May is when we're going to be going out. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, but, I had actually it slipped my mind that you <laughs> it slipped my mind that you got the white sturgeon too. Like I wanted like dude, you just like knocked oh, yeah. him down. Like uh, I, it was so awesome to like watch. I was like, what is this dude is on a freaking tear? But like I'm like <laughs> I'm chomping at the bit to get to those parts, but I, I don't want to do it without honoring like because the critical thing in these kind of conversations for me is like how you laid the groundwork for that. You know what I mean? Yeah, true. Like I don't it's mm-hmm. I, I don't like listening to these kind of programs where it's like somebody just dives straight into the home run. I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. but like, I can't do that. Like, but when I, a lot of times what I've noticed with doing this whole podcast thing, like seeing the layers of people, it's like, Oh my gosh, like I didn't even realize you had all that going on. And it's impossible oh, yeah. to know if you just exist only in Instagram, like you don't get, you don't know people, you know what I mean? Right. But I, you have at least given enough hints that like you've, I don't know, overcoming things or you're, you're having some kind of like awakening, but, uh, but the carp fishing thing, I don't want to get away from the carp fishing thing because I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm right there with you with, with the carp. And it was funny when you were describing 
the first time you like encountered one or saw one because I, I like it like took me back like I had these like vivid images in my mind bass fishing at a local uh uh golf course pond with my brothers the first time I encountered a carp and it was like mm-hmm. this, it was a giant grass carp you know they put these grass carp in these oh, golf man, course ponds know? and and I looked at it I, at first it didn't even register to me like I'm like a 10 year old kid and I I thought I saw scale pattern but this thing was like as big around as like, you know, well, when you're 10, everything looks bigger. You know what I mean? I thought my dad was 10 feet tall and, you know, <laughs> but like this thing looks so big. It might've been like as, as heavy as me. I was a little, I was a shrimpy little kid and I see yep. these scale patterns. I'm like, and it didn't even click to me that that was a fish. And then it moved and I was like, Oh my God, what is that? <laughs> My brother started telling me about exactly. carp. Yeah, exactly. my brother, my brother Matt's like, oh, that's a carp. That's just a trash fish. I'm like, what are you talking about? That thing's as big as a whale. Like, I want, I don't care about these bass. So my mind went there. I don't know. It's a character yeah. thing. Some it's people will. Like a, a splitting moment between yeah. of how it works. You know, I got, right. I got buddies, you, same thing. I, I hit know. that like crossroad and it's like, I don't know, man, you can resign yourself to the bass and the sport fish world, or you can like become enamored and interested in all that's out there. And for me, like before fishing, I was like, just in, I was just like, Oh, like obnoxiously crazy about animals in general. So anything that moved always got my interest, but the carp thing, man, I went way down that rabbit hole. Uh, maybe not way down the rabbit hole. I did. I've done plenty of it, but, um, but I've been impressed with the way that you do it because like in like where everywhere I've lived, I've lived all over the southeastern United States. We moved all over the place. But most mm-hmm. of the places I've gone, you have no limitation on dumping bait in the water, putting 10 rods out of it if you want, like just like bombing them. But like, is it is it correct? I was reading one of your posts one time where it's mm-hmm. like you you have to fish like one rod at a time, no pre-baiting. None of that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm like, yeah. When it comes to carp fishing, man, that's Minnesota is not where you want to do it. I mean, that, that is very true. But we also have some pretty unique fishing opportunities for them. But I mean, it just makes you adapt, you know. I mean, yeah. so you find these, say, you find a duck pond, or you find these areas where people are already feeding the geese. Well, that's already going to bring fish. So, and there's some. Car- carp anglers that'll play in the gray area you know a lot of our dnr officers will allow these pack baits as long as they're attached to the rig they can be used but you can't just take take that same pack bait and throw it out yeah and do it so i mean <laughs> this day is when i'll go down i'll say you know hey i'm feeding the ducks i'm throwing them some corn some bread you know whatever same thing everybody does and then i'll go fishing the next day you know just to avoid that kind of thing so, but, so all you need to do is fill up a giant mesh laundry bag full of corn and then just like zip tie it to your line. There you and go. And then it's part of your rig. I'm like, hey, that's part of my rig. But <laughs> <laughs> of course, then yeah, you have I to reel th- in a 50 pound bag. I might get them a little bit. I think, I think <laughs> there's an amount. I think they, they, if I started whomping chunks like that, they'd say something. But when it's just little mm-hmm. stuff like that, I think they're all right. It, it again it comes down to the officer that checks you but usually in my experience you're respectful with the officer you're educating them you're showing them you know i'm not just throwing these out here to just bring these sport fish to me you know i'm fishing carp you know right yeah and, and explain why it's helpful you know that the same conversation we're having here to show how this little bit of a dough bait 
changes your fishing, you know? Mm-hmm. So as long as you're pretty good with that, they seem to be pretty good. So, Right. Well, the other good thing with them is like once you kind of dial in a few good, solid, reliable spots, you pretty much know. Yeah. But uh, I love seeing your pictures, though, too. Like you've gotten like the kids heavily involved in it. It's become like a family affair. I'm like, and that's always such a good like introduction to fishing, like for a young person. I feel like because you get enamored by the big fish, it doesn't involve necessarily a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and they, like, they can go play down by the water. It's very inanimate. You're not, you know, you're it's sitting and waiting, but it's also the opportunity to encounter the big fish. So I feel like oh, you're, yeah. you're on the right, if you're trying to program the little ones, if you're trying to like you brainwash them, I feel like you're going about it the right way. So yeah, hundred percent. It, it's amazing. The differences we got friends who have kids that, you know, they can't really bobber watch, mm-hmm. but you know, they just lack that. You know, the ability to sit still and, you know, be there and be in the boat for eight hours a day. But you take them out carp fishing where they can run around, go to this playground, and all they have to do is listen for some beeps. And when the beeps happen, guess what? All of them, they're coming. Yeah. They're, they're running. They're rock, paper, scissoring for the next fish, you know. It's not exactly lazy. Well, it's lazy, but at the same time, it's not like they're not engaged in it. It's just that right. they don't have to can stay focused on it. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's, that's your job. So mm-hmm. but that's, um, yeah, that's funny. Well, you know what you mentioned? It's hard to, it's, it's hard for them or it's hard for kids to sit and stare at the water and bobber watch it. It can be just as hard for adults. And I oh, think yeah, about that. Too. I think I, I, I try to, I get into these debates sometimes with people when it comes to like bait versus lures, which is oh, you're just a bait fisherman. It is a different set of challenges that I like. There's been times where I got humbled by bait fishing and I thought I've got the fortitude to sit on a chunk for hours. But um, I, I think the best example where I was like, man, this is eye opening is when I, I went carp fishing with, with my buddy Austin Anderson in Texas. And this oh, kid yeah, pulls yeah. like this kid pulls these just monster fish. Big buffs, dude. Yes, I mean, good God! And I've been watching him for years. I've been watching him since the since the carp English group days. Oh yeah, he was like 13, 12 year old kid catching these dang huge fish, and so I finally fished with him. Man, we fished for like twenty four straight hours with nothing on this wind blown little section of lake. Wind blowing in our face. It's cold. It's just uncomfortable. There's no action at all. And by like the twelfth hour, I was like, I, I, I admit it. I was breaking. I was like, mm-hmm. I was like, I know I didn't just spend all this money on this plane ticket, come all this way. Man, we ain't catching nothing. It's done. And then like you know, but but. It was like if I was alone, I think I would have tapped. But like him being there, like and like being there, like it was like a reassuring thing because I'm like I he still seemed confident after all that. I'm like I don't know how you're confident over there because this sucks. And then, uh, <laughs> but lo and behold, he t- he kept telling me he's like I'm telling you, like I've had these days. It's just a matter of time they're gonna come in. The other interesting thing is we I was out there with Josh Dolan. And we had gone out there in the kayak and dropped, uh, he had a camera and we dropped the camera down there on, on, you know, where we had dropped the baits and left it out there for like 45 minutes. We weren't getting any bites. Then we brought the camera back up. We had nothing else to do, but sit around, twiddle our thumbs. And like, you know, so we, uh, you know, it was a good way to stay kind of interested, but we watched the footage. There were so many giant Buffalo and carp down there. Like they were there. They just weren't biting. So it was like, that was good and reassuring, but 
anyway, I kind of think of that too when it comes to your uh, the sturgeon fishing, where you're staring at a hole like for hours and hours. So it's like, man, I get it. Like the challenge of lure fishing, it's very physical. It's very much like you're you're keenly aware, like you're working, working, working. You're having to use your skills to fool a fish, but it's still a different. Like it's like equally challenging in a different way to have to sit and stare at a hole for hours and and somehow keep mentally focused enough to stay optimistic because it's like it's like you gotta you gotta keep the demons away. You know what I mean? You gotta keep like that that little that is so accurate. It is so accurate. Yeah. A little negative, oh. like pessimistic voice on your shoulder starts speaking. They ain't here. You're you in the wrong the spot. spot. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, I don't know, man. I feel like you get forged. It probably makes you a better lure fisherman, honestly. It's like when you, you, you get a, a, I don't know, a better mentality to to be patient with that mm-hmm. kind of fishing. So that's that's cool. I don't know, but... <sighs> I guess reluctantly I'll I'll kind of, I may come back to this sturgeon thing because that's one I really want to do. But at some yeah. point, it's like you decided to just go on this wild twenty. When I looked at like you're you're like you, you like just went after it, like and decided to go to all these different places seemingly out of nowhere. I'm sure that like it had been like in fantasy world in your brain, like it was like it was just a uh, I don't know. It was just stuck in the bucket list, like dream mode. But just kind of mm-hmm. walk me through like the process mentally of like making that decision, having the discipline to budget properly and like making these dream trips actually happen. Because a lot of people like ah, only, you know, only rich people can go do that or, you know, I'll never be able to do this or just like give people some backdrop on like, how you made it happen, starting with the Amazon trip. I mean, I guess there. I... How is there a good way to explain it? I, I, I guess we started back when, you know, that COVID thing happened. I just got my life back together. I had money, steady income. I've been working on my credit for a while, you know. Uh, so I've been driven for the past few years, but also the past few years, I also realized I've been fishing less and I haven't been doing anything different. And, you know, so going down to Bolivia, you know, that was an impulse and I had the money, you know, I had to, you know, and this guy, Steve Ryan, he's legendary, you know, are you going to turn down that opportunity? No. Oh, yeah, so yeah. that that was the real start to it. And I, I guess I just realized, you know, I've lost quite a few friends and people, you know, so many of them younger than me have just kicked the bucket out of nowhere. And I, I really started thinking about time and, you know, when I can do this. I started looking at my dad, who has had double knee show surgery by the time he was in his 40s. And I'm getting there, you know, and I'm yeah. showing all the signs of that. So that was a big driving point behind it. But as far as budgeting, you know, it was it, there wasn't any real budgeting involved. It was kind of, okay, let's go. And, you yeah. know, we'll figure it out later, you know. The Texas thing was great because uh, it just happened to work out, you know, mm-hmm. and they had never seen the ocean. So it was a worthy investment for us. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to lie. We uh, we struggled for a little bit post Texas. You know, it, it was tight, you know, but for her to come all the way down there, we bring Harley to the ocean. We caught Gator Gar. 
we stopped in the uh, Grand Canyon and it's a bark I saw in those, uh, what do they call them? The Ozarks. Yeah. Yeah. I used so, to live there. We, uh, we did so much, you know, and we have a Volkswagen TDI. So it's not like fuel was a big thing. And when we were down there, we saved a lot of money in hotels and such by various sites. And the fact she was working at a uh, Marriott prior. And I don't know, we just kind of just made it happen for the sake that we have just seen how life is changing you know everything is getting more expensive you know we we don't know even next year or this year if we are going to be financially as well off as we were last year would we be able to do these things yeah. would we be able to do things like the year after so i don't know i guess it just wound up getting impulsive and i just got done wasting time and i just wanted to do it so when the opportunities came around I just said yes, you know. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I've talked to a few. You're not the first guy, obviously. I, in fact, there's a guy, another guy, I actually had on here, and he's from Naples. He's from where I live. Like we live like 20 mm -hmm. minutes apart, and uh, and and his his like thing was the same thing. He's like, oh, there's no real big story. It's just like at some point you just you just do it. He's like, I I don't know. I'm I apologize for not giving more of an in depth <laughs> reason, but like, at some point you have to just stop thinking about it, dreaming about it, talking about it, and just like. I mean, if you have to make a couple small little lifestyle changes, you know, my bad habit is I like to stop at the gas station and buy like Cheetos and an energy drink. Mm -hmm. And it's like if I if I added up all of those that I do during the course of a year, I could pay for these trips. Oh, yeah. And I got my wife 100%. reminding me about that daily because she's a financial guru. So she's quick yeah, to let me know oh, about see, all there the you go. She, she'll figure out how to make it happen yeah. for you. Yeah, so she's, <laughs> she's helping me with the... Um, discipline side of it and helping me feel guilty every time I spend money on something stupid. But, um, but I'm just thinking like, it's so fresh for you. And there's guys that I'm have talked to and I'm going to talk to that are more seasoned in their travels that are fun to talk to, but it's like, it's more interesting in that like this just happened for you. Like when you're flying to South America and maybe you just kind of come through, I'm like, I'm not, am I in dreaming world right now? It's like at some during a lot of that flight, you're above the clouds. You don't see nothing. You're just sitting there. It's kind of like ice fishing. The anticipation's mm -hmm. there, but you're forced to wait on this long flight and be alone with your thoughts. Yeah. Um, at some point, though, you get below the clouds. Just, I mean, what is like your like? What's going through your mind when you start to like get closer and closer and closer to the canopy of the trees, and you know, oh, you know, this ain't a dream anymore. Like I'm here. Like this is yeah. I it's, mean, it's that here. That was exactly it. You know, it was from the point I got dropped off at the airport to the point I actually landed in Bolivia. Uh, it was surreal. You know, at, at any point, you know, I've got this nickname Murph. So it's Murphy's Law. What can go wrong will type thing. So I was just, I was just looking for these things. What's going to happen? And I actually did miss one flight on the way down. Oh. Thankfully, they had room in the next flight that my other fishing partners were on. Somehow, I had booked an earlier fight before them, so it worked out. But, you know, I, I've i got, you know, as I was a kid, you know, I've had records and stuff. And I'm wondering, you know, if I get to these gates and they're searching my name, you know, what are they going to find, you know, that they're going to say, nope, you can't enter our country. You know, what's going to oh, stop yeah. this and that and this and that? I'm just like, I'm waiting for it because there's in any of my trips, there's always an almost 
trip ending speed bump, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> but that just, makes the best stories. Like, you oh, need 100%. that. Yeah, it makes the best memories, but it's just like it, <laughs> to the point you almost turn back, you know? Yeah. But it was a lot of that. But I remember finally, you know, getting on this tiny plane. We had spent like a whole day in the city of River Alta prior to going into the rainforest. I'm just biting at my teeth, you know, like I just want to get out there. You know, what can go wrong? Why is this taking so long? We finally get out there. I'm coming. I'm watching the rainforest go. I'm watching the rainforest go. I got two seasoned anglers in front of me. I'm in the back. So I'm the smallest guy. I'm right next to all the gear. Everybody else is either just chilling or passing out. You got me looking around, looking around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the pilot, he goes and just does that. He does a oh, full, like 90 degree turn. We're looking at the ground. The two season anglers up front are dang near shit in their pants. I'm back here thinking I'm going to die. Yeah. <laughs> but that was, was like, scary. I'm glad you're describing this because like I can handle flying on big like commercial airlines. That's nothing. But when I look at those little planes, and you're flying around in a tin can over a bunch of like the jungle. I I'm I mean and even in the big commercial airlines, like you'll hit turbulence. And it's like, whoa, oh, yeah. You kind of feel your stomach go like I'm, like, I'm in the back of the plane and that's happening, man. And it's just like there's points where it felt like you dropped five, six feet. And I'm just like, I'm grabbing onto the old shit handles. I'm just like, yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, right. But See, ironically, I, I'm, I'm scared because I get motion sickness on the ocean. It's pathetic. I'm like, I'm like the consummate angler, but I like, I can't go on the ocean because I'm, I get pathetically seasick. Like I'm talking about, I'll be a hundred yards offshore. Like I can see the land and I'll start to be like, uh Oh, I, I can feel it coming. I'm like, dude, nobody, if I start barfing in an airplane or something like that, be embarrassing. But, uh, so now, and yeah. and then the airstrip. Tell me about the airstrip because everything I see, there ain't no nice looking airstrips. There's no, no like big fancy I mean, welcoming party. Like you're landing on straight dirt, aren't you? Yeah, I mean dirt and grass. You know, sometimes <laughs> when when we had the planes coming in on the return trip, you know, we're missing the push, dirt. Yeah, you know, push pigs off the <laughs> runway and everything, and you know. <laughs> We're landing right next to a village, so I'll, you know, they use the uh, landing strip for their soccer and their football, or mm. I suppose that is their football, their football and their games down there too. So I mean, it was a unique experience, and then it's, you know, it's a rough landing. You bounce, you bounce, you bounce, and then you're flying by these huts and everything, and yeah, then yeah. right in front of the plane, there's a hill that'll go down, you know, that helps them take off at times. But you're wondering if you're going to go over that hill, and yeah. <laughs> all that stuff but uh, that was a fun experience i've never been in a, a small plane like that so yeah, that was either a wild adrenaline filled ride and thankfully when i was up in the air it was the only time i had service while i was down there so i'm texting jen and you know like oh my god oh my god oh my god it's shaking it's shaking i'm gonna die yeah so, i'm surprised you had service up there even that's that's pretty crazy yeah, yeah i would just was, think you're was, off the grid or something i know some of them bring like satellite phones or something yeah, it was surprising. I, in the air between between camp and I suppose it's about an hour long flight between River Alta and camp. And it was that first 30 minutes from River Alta. Like even down in South America, we had I had good coverage in the actual populated areas. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I guess that's Verizon, but, you know, yeah. depends that's on what cool. you got. So are you getting to like mingle with the like locals when you get there or people like, oh, great. Here comes a, more of them gringos are here or, or are you like, well, you get I mean, 
they were pretty welcoming. I'm not going to lie. You know, I still get messages to this day of people, you know. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. We, we were big news when we got down there and you got these people adding us, you know, like, hey, did you get any pictures of our hotel? Be sure you mention us, yada, yada, yada. And the actual locals in the actual village themselves, too, very welcoming. Yeah. Uh, the kids would come up to us and talk. And the yeah. chief's daughter had this little monkey she'd have on her shoulder and everything. <laughs> it was a great experience, you know, very hospitable. I I had nothing bad to say about the people or anything. I mean, there were some of them that, you know, you could tell we're looking at you kind of funny. But, yeah. you know, at the same point, you're Look walking that guy's big beard. South America. Yeah, I'm walking around <laughs> South America. You know, I'm having the time of my life. You're not going to yeah. bring me down. Right, yeah. You know, the language barrier barrier was a was a thing, but you know you do enough of this this Spanglish and almost like uh charades. Yeah. And you're able to make it happen and then you got your translators on your phone. So I mean, I guess that was the worst of it, you know. Otherwise everybody was so great. Our host that down there uh brought us back to his place. He's the doctor down there and then he does the fishing, hosting and whatnot. Brought us back to his place. We drank. He he cooked us some beautiful, beautiful meat. You know, big, big old things of beefsteak and oh, but yeah, it was it was cool. I, I gotta say it was a a life changing experience. I've always wanted to go down there, and you know, makes me wish I would have listened in Spanish class because I never thought I actually would go down Dude, there. I'm telling you right but, now, I I did Spanish from like third grade all the way through college. I manage a bunch of, you know, Spanish folks. I struggle with it. It just, ah, man, if I could be by like, that's like the ultimate skills to be bilingual. I just, I want so bad to be able to communicate with different people, but like, I would rather do like trigonometry or like brain surgery. I just could never mm -hmm. figure out the, the, the other languages. It's a shame, but, um, yeah. So you finally get on the river and is there like a particular agenda or do you kind of have like the flexibility to like say, Hey, I want to go try this. Or do they say you're going to do this, that, and the other, and you pretty much are I following mean, or. It, it was pretty much, you know, we could tie our own rigs and whatnot. The guys were there to bait our rigs and stuff, give us help. They being locals had the spots already figured out, you know, they'll bring us yeah. to our best holes and whatnot. Um, but basically, the only real, you know, agenda was, you know, you get on the river, you give it on the lagoon, you'd fish a certain amount, period of time, you'd come back for lunch. And this was, this was probably my favorite part, you know. Down in South America, they really do the lunch break siestas, where we drop off our camp chef at the beginning of the day at a certain section of river, and he'd clear it out within a couple hours. We'd go there, he'd have an amazing meal set up for us bunch of hammocks strung through the trees for us to take a midday yeah. nap <laughs> if we want to from the boats down there and then they'd be chewing on their cocoa leaves laughing talking or napping themselves and then you're back on it you know and you're able to you're able to suggest you know say hey, i wanted to target big Zhao, you know we're going to go to a deeper hole or i want to to finally check off well i didn't have to do it but my first fish was a firewood sewer beam, but I don't. I want to go shallow now for these firewoods. These now you're speaking wide. a foreign language for a lot of people listening. Like what? What is it? A jow? What is a so a jow is a jow? Okay, 
So Jawa is essentially. I know what they are, but I want other people to know because yeah. they're so awesome looking. Yeah, a jow at at the most basic description is like a giant flathead. Flathead, yeah. You know, uh, and then these sewer beam that I found down there, crazy fish. You know, they're they're a species of cats, but they're beautiful with tiger stripes and, you know, just marblings and dots and all everything you can imagine. Right. And these firewoods and these tigers, they're they're known to be more in these shallower sections, these snaggier areas. And specifically these firewoods, my first experience with this thing, I I had no I I had no idea what it was, but sitting there in the boat the first day, line starts going off, cool, set the, the circle hook, turn the bait feeder off, and the thing just comes out of the water. You know, it's a three, four foot fish. And I'm just cranking and cranking and this thing's going so fast you can't even keep up to this fish because it's coming at you it's jumping it's coming at you you think you lost it like four times then it dives under the boat and goes it keeps going that way but yeah it's the a freaking catfish that jumps out of the water like i wouldn't have expected that everything like just blew my mind but uh that's nuts because like the pictures of them they look like real streamlined and flat like the profile of them is like very flat so my i when i look at that i would have thought okay that's a fish that likes to hide under things on the bottom so they they probably dig hard to the bottom but for you to say that they're Mm -hmm. jumping and going crazy that's that that's unexpected that's cool it it threw me for a loop man (laughs) i i for my first fish while i was down there you know i've catfished my whole life and i've just you know right (laughs) to me me it was just going to be something i knew already but you know just a little different maybe a little bigger fish different looking fish but man having one come all the way out of the water like that and multiple times each fish multiple times like it's not just one jump it was just it was very cool i got nuts are you doing any like uh lure fishing too or is like or is that like um bolivia i I said guyana earlier for some reason i was thinking guyana you went to the bolivia are you doing more Mm -hmm. pursuing large catfish and then obviously we'll get to the air pilot thing but it's like yeah. are you slinging lures do they have like the we we or any of that kind of yep we were seeing pyara jump in these current seams while we were down there problem was uh up in the mountains say peru and whatnot they had just gotten a bunch of rain while we were down there so the rio madidi which is the river we were on uh was very cloudy You'll notice that like the river itself was like this fine, fine silt. So it's just like I don't know. It it you, you touch it and it's powder. Oh. It was crazy. So you can almost imagine just a tiny bit of rain turns that into a complete chocolate soup. Like you weren't if the fish was down two, three inches, you wouldn't see it. Yeah. A lot of these site-based predators were not, you know not really too much of an option you know we were seeing yeah. the pyr jump in the seams and you know the paku maybe we, we saw a few dead paku but there's just no way to reliably target them and so i mean during clearer seasons when they talk about you know the red tails being more prevalent in the river or the pyr and the pakus it tends to be more early season prior to the rains and when the river draws down so we went there in August. They would have said, you know, the best time for that was probably their summer. So uh, December, our time, you know, around there. And then 
Yeah. You know, you got rainy season and it's pretty much opposite of the northern hemisphere here. The the bait so, the bait thing is always a curious one to me. Are you like harvesting bait as you're going? Are you going into the river already with a stockpile of bait? Like how are you getting they, this? They definitely uh they had bait prior. Um I know common practice on most of these adventures is you can catch your own bait. So you catch a like if I'm going to Suriname here in a month and I catch a peacock bass and I want to cut that guy up and use it mm-hmm. for a big piraiba, you know, that's <laughs> going to be a thing. I'm bringing peacock rods. I'm bringing bait rods. Uh, they down in Bolivia, though, they, they already had everything harvested. And I think they go down to the main river with their nets and whatnot because they had a variety of species of fish that I don't even think we've seen in the river. Like we've seen, we've seen bait fish in the lagoons and such as they were getting chased around, but nothing quite like they had in their coolers. So maybe they have a stockpile somewhere. Maybe they just go out in the mornings and cast them. I know one morning they, I heard of them going down and catching it. But other than that, this yeah. that's specifically we didn't have to worry about it. This one coming up, I think, might be more more like that, where we will be taking advantage of off time to catch bait and whatnot. Right. So now are you returning back to like camp at the end of each day or were you setting up camp like as you trekked up river like i'm kind of curious is like no, what is the was, 24 hours of the day looking like it was it was a lodge so i mean you know you had your main village and then you had we had two nice little lodges side by side for your guests mm-hmm. and i mean they were nice you got your showers your two beds in each room and two rooms for each hut. So four guys in each lodge, total of eight guys can go on that trip. And uh, yeah, I mean, you'd wake up in the morning, you'd go to the camp kitchen, have breakfast. Uh, great chefs, by the way. Uh, you'd hop on this tractor and then you'd either drive down to the lagoons or you'd go further and hit the actual river. And then you're, coming through getting pulled by the wagon behind it and everything train rainforest above you and then yeah you come back at the end of the day they'll have supper ready you know within about 30 minutes so all you that time to clean up shower and then you have a nice dinner there waiting for you and then it's repeat i'm like thinking too like i'm thinking like night before christmas and a kid like and how hard it is to sleep i mean or were you sleeping well or were you like having a hard time sleeping I mean, Too how much can excitement. you really... <laughs> Yeah. I mean, there were days that really, you know, the heat helped, you know. I uh I had uh, a boat a roommate that uh was a snorer who oh, always yeah. <laughs> was able to get to sleep like that. Louise, did you see this? I'm sorry, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but no, for me personally, I, I did not sleep well that entire week, you know. And when... <laughs> You know, once you went, it was deep, you know, it was to the point you felt you passed out and you knew it was good sleep. You got up, you're good. So, I mean, and I thrive on, you know, low hours of sleep. I'm no stranger to that. I wake up at 5 a.m. no matter what time I go to sleep. So, yeah. you know, I was no stranger to that, but man, it didn't stop the, the adrenaline and yeah. The just almost ecstasy of being down there and the fact that you're 
you're there and what tomorrow is going to bring, you know, some of these guys, I know the other guys slept well, but me as the, one of the newer guys in the group. Yeah. Definitely did not. So, right. Well then obviously at some point the key objective or like, you know, that, that, that high mantle fish, the dream fish, like the queen of the river was there, there a Pima. Now these things are living like they're they're not so I mean obviously they're in the river but like you're not targeting them in the main river right you're going into these mm-hmm. marginal we're, we're lakes how are you getting into those lakes well lagoons whatever you want to call them are, uh, most of them are pretty easily accessible the one that I spent the most time on was literally right on the road on the way to the river and probably their oldest existing lagoon because the river moves back and forth every year with your high lows, highs and lows. And that's how these oxbows are made. Yeah. And, but there was others, you know, they have access to these hundreds of lagoons, you know, but only, I think it was like four or five of them actually had trails made to them for the tractor or something like that. Cause you know, if you were trying to access them from the river, you gotta go up river, then up a hill, then you're in the lagoon and they just haven't had boats there yet. So as as we go on through the years, I'm sure the lodge I went to will continue to have more and more of these lagoons accessible to them. But yeah, it was it was bushwhack, and you know they might have bushwhacked prior, but you know some of those lagoons there. You know, I think the longest tractor ride was about 20 minutes or so. So I mean, you went a good distance into the rainforest, and that they had hacked down to get to these, you know little what looked like little ponds but at some point you know i i brought my deeper sonar down there so that little wireless circle thing and i had dropped it down into this one that's that furthest lagoon and then some areas i marked 20 30 feet oh yeah so i mean that's pretty crazy that you know you had a river that was 20 30 feet deep but get entirely cut off from another section of the river you know i found that pretty wild but so obviously you you get into these lagoons and is it just is it all about like quietness stealth i mean are you trying to like not be noticed and you're scanning the surface of the water like <laughs> describe like the hunt for these fish like, i watch the videos the pictures but or, you know it's it's interesting so, to me the uh my first experience you know I, as we're going out i'm i'm watching these guys and you know, none of these boats have motors. We're paddling through, you know, obviously we're trying to be as quiet as possible. You got my first morning for our Pimo was just glass calm and just you, there's nothing. And you had the slight fog above the water and you'd hear these fish, they're out there popping and popping and similar to as a bowfin would come up or mm-hmm. another air lunged fish and they just and you'd just be listening for that and you'd hear them all around you but you go out into the lagoon and your main thing we were looking for is like overhanging branches and we have these like grass mats that would literally grow on the surface of the water out into the river so underneath this grass is literally a whole world of fish sitting down there yeah and you're just you're you're fishing the edge of these grass mats and you know you're you're paddling up there real slow and you're dropping this bait in this specific spot and then you're paddling backwards real slow again okay and, oh, that's cool 
so you're dropping the baits like placing yeah a lot of the time yeah because i was curious like are you waiting on them to roll and then like launching a cast their way or how's like a lot of that did happen uh my two biggest ones actually came from you know just letting it sit on bottom and one i just happened we happened to be moving because we had no action we better go to down to this area and i picked up the rod you know started cranking and it just damn near pulled me out of their their dugout you know and they're like fish i was like well i didn't fall out for no reason (laughs) tell me about the first one like there's gonna be the big one but tell me about like it finally happens like walk me through that like just like do you see the line go out first or is like you don't even have time it just boom well my first one i lost because oh, I'd, I'd yeah, cry. My, i think, I honestly think i'd cry yeah <laughs> i i was upset because i had brought these wire leaders for, for payara and then the guides you know they were like initially tying our rigs and they're like leader and i'm like okay here you go and you know they picked it out of my box and then they tie it on and i get this scream and run you know i cast it underneath this overhanging tree as our i'm like to go for these birds monkeys whatever falls in the water monkeys. and it just screams off and i can feel it went underneath a log somewhere oh. and kept going but i'm trying to you know stop it and eventually the leader pops it pulls the uh the clip right out of the back end of the leader and i I was heartbroken. I was literally so mad at my guides for a while there that I went. That was probably the only point of the trip that the ecstasy really like fell off. Like I was, it broke me, you know? Yeah. So they were asking for another leader as they were tying on another one. I'm like, no, I let me tie my own rigs, you know, for, oh, I tied yeah. my own rig from there, then on. I'm just let like, let me nope, own my there. failure. I, I get that, yeah. man. If I, if I fail, I want to be mad at myself. A hundred percent, hundred percent, especially on a fish of a lifetime. Mm. But then the one I actually caught my actual first one is the one I was just talking about, you know, we're moving spots and I pick up this rod and I just, you know, happen to go like this. And then all of a sudden it's going like this and I'm I'm over the edge of the boat dang near because we're we're tied off to a tree and they're quickly trying to untie it and paddle me out there because they want to stay on top of the fish. Yeah, yeah. It was basically the goal. And man, it just, it was. Uh Oh, you went mute again. Hang on. Okay, now I hear you. I hear you. Cool. I might have to find me a charger here pretty quick. It's all good. If you want to run over and grab one, it's all good. Yeah, I'm going to go get that right now quick. All right. Oh. All right. So, again, where we're at, hooked up. I've got a picture of me. My guide accidentally zoomed in while we were doing the video. Which he got the fish jump and everything, but then he zoomed into the point where most of the other rest of the video is junk. But uh, he got my face at, at like the perfect moment when this fish is just powerhousing it and just going and going and going. And it's running for these trees on the edge of the of the lagoon. And they're yelling at me, drag, drag, drag. And I'm like, I'm trying. I'm only at 150 pounds, you know, 160 maybe on my best day. <laughs> and this fish is just get, like pulling and pulling and pulling, just bringing me a new one. And it jumps, man, and that jump, 
to this day is still like my favorite moment. Like it's just into your brain. Yeah. They come out of the water and their gills flare out to the yeah. point they they have a section gill plate. So they have their initial gills and they have like another almost second gill plate there. Mm. They just flare that out and they're coming out and just <sighs> dancing. Oh man. Heart's just pounding thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. But oh life changing. I I I don't think I can fully describe it to any sort of extent that, you know, actually does it justice, especially if a person wants to catch an art climber, you know. Right, right. You can't you can't describe that feeling and that energy until that person's actually they're doing it you know how how can you it's it's surreal i mean that at its most basic descriptive form i guess yeah well the more that you describe it i i can kind of get to point where i feel what you're describing and it, it, it and it scares me because i know how much of a mess i become like when i get like within proximity to those lifetime catches it's like oh. all composure is lost. My skill yeah. is gone. So I'm like, I'm, I know I'm like so worried, like if or when I make this trip that I'm going to fumble it because I've become yeah. such a bumbling fool when I met like the hands, like when it's like when that moment is there, but I'm um, in the headlights. What's what, oh. what always freaks me out is the landing process, because a, a lot of the videos that I watch, it's always like right in the thick stuff along the edge of the bank like it seems mm -hmm. like that's the most critical moment because it's jumping in limbs you got one guy holding the line like grabbing the actual main line to control a fish it just seems like the potential to lose them there is so great like i oh, know i'm yeah. gonna be freaking out and like, how do you, you how'd you get your when you got your hands on it like what was what was that like i mean First thing you got to understand is, you know, you are completely right. You know, you're landing these things among trees and you hop in the water and there's sticks down there. Mm. There's sticks and there's there's possibilities of freshwater stingrays. You know, we call it stingrays in the river. So there's entire possibilities there in the rip, in the lagoons. Yeah. But they tell you, you know, if you're in the water, you got to drag your feet. Don't lift up. So you're dragging your feet through these sticks and sticks are cutting up your shin. But you finally like the guides go in first. They get their hands on this fish, and you're then allowed to go in and get in the position. And I, I remember kissing this fish because it's what I do. I love to kiss my fish, you know. And I was just full in the moment. I screamed and I howled. Yeah. You know, I'm sure that my my party heard me from the other side of the lagoon where they were fishing. And uh, I kissed the top of this arapaima's head. They're just they start freaking out because in our prima is a bony skulled fish and all they got to do is you know take a uh, breath yeah. of air and pop it up and boom you're got a concussion essentially yeah but man you know it just couldn't resist it yeah they probably yeah they, i'm I, I always look at those pictures i mean there must be like a strict liability thing going on there because you never see somebody in the water alone with the fish it's like you're always with the guide or with somebody else and it's like I almost would like uh, want that. I don't know. Maybe I afterwards. Think if we were to ask, they would definitely would. You know, yeah, out okay. of habit. You know, as long as that fish is fully under control. Mm -hmm. You know, but out of habit, and you know, just for the fact, you know, 
it's a six, eight foot fish, you know, that's how you get them yeah, up and out of yeah. the water for the better picture is why they right. stay. But, you know, like at post pictures, you know, I got to, you know, handle my arp, I must swim off with it. That mm-hmm. was just a moment for me and my fish, you know, I'm carrying it out. He guides are back there on the shore. I'm carrying it out and then you swim off with it, you know, save his vibe. Yeah. I'm shaking just thinking about it. I want to go back yeah. so bad, but I want to do the Guyana <laughs> thing like you're saying. You know, uh, yeah. I'm bigger down there and all that. Then you get the real jungle experience where you're going from upstream and you're working your way down. Yeah. Would be that, so that's cool. the one that I'm going to gun for really hard, hopefully this year. Um, but this December, is, let's go. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking <laughs> is I, I'm thinking like, you know, th- this fall, it's like, I, you know, it's got to happen. I had a little setback on my uh passport they didn't have some information they needed so i'm like no but i mean i got all year so anyway though not about me and i know you know i I, we have taken so much of your time talking about that but it's like that was only part of your year and what blew my mind is you said this is august so you're late in the year like you're you're at the Mm -hmm. tail end of the year and you had only just really scratched the surface and we're like we're segueing out of this amazon thing quick but i feel like you did a real you did a great job of like I'm like enamored by the idea. Like I can, I can like your passion for it and your energy about it is evident oh, yeah. and like authentic. It, it, it was life changing, man. I, I, I plan to keep going, you know, yeah. I really, really, really enjoyed my entire experience down there and it was so, so worth it. Well, the fact well, that you I, left there and then you go straight for alligator gar, like you come, you go from like one of those global Titans in the Arapaima. And you come straight back to the home front to to like, I mean, imagine you're riding on a high. So like the, the optimism's there. There's probably a lot of like I don't care because I already got my Arapaima. But then you go straight yep. after the alligator gar, which I've I've done that scene. I've I've been there and I understand it. And and you just and you just knock that one off. So I guess man, obviously maybe not in quite as much detail, but kind of tell me how how that went. I mean, you know, hooking the first one and maybe if you lost any to to bring in one of those yeah. bad boys in and maybe a I compare mean, and contrast between the two species. I think that'd be kind of neat. I mean, Texas Gator Gar, that one was, uh, that one was definitely more of a family vacation dynamic. So I wasn't hitting it as hard. You know, there was opportunities to go harder and say fish into the evening and such, but we were there with my, my nine year old, I'm sorry. Um, and we wanted it to be enjoyable for all of them. So like we said, we when we first got there, we went down to Galveston first. My girl's never seen the ocean. And you know what? I'm, yeah. I'm near water. I'm going to try it. So we wound up going to the pier. We knocked out the black drum. We got a few black mm-hmm. drum while we were out there. And it just blew my kid's mind. You know, she was having yeah. such a good time. She got to see her first shark get caught, you know, yeah. by a guy on that pier. And then... You know, that was just a stepping stone. Then we go up river towards these gator garden. We're finding, you know, all these areas. You know, we stayed up at the uh, the preserves out there. I forget what town it was. But just south of uh, Livingston Dam, about an hour. So, I mean, that's where we went. Gar fishing the most, as, you know, that seems to be a very easy spot to go for your first time, you know. Yeah, yeah. And we did very well. I mean, we didn't get any giants, but we used Henry Martin's, you know, small hook method. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, small hook setting the hooks right away. I think we only wa- lost Jen's fish. Jen had a real nice one that probably would have been the biggest one in the trip, and it got into the current and got off. So, yeah. I mean, other than that, our hookup ratios and everything were quite, quite good. And then, you know, but we were taking it slow. You know, there was times when it was raining and stuff while we were down there because we, we happened to go down there when that rain was hitting and the water was getting high at the end of the year. So that led to some problems, you know, where we had to uh, take cover. Thankfully, I thought of bringing our, you know, our shanty thing from up here and had that with. So we had a place to stay dry. But I mean, you know, I didn't grind as hard as I did in Bolivia, for sure. It was more or less just we're taking full advantage of this while we're here. And, you know, if it works, it works, which it did, you know. I'll still be going back so I'm gonna grind that river. I'm gonna get a big one out of that river. But oh yeah. Just to check it off the bucket list, a, a small, I think that fish was five or five yeah, I think it was five foot on the dot. I want to say it was like sixty or sixty-four inches. And you know, nothing fancy, but we got a couple of them that big. Maybe one was a little bigger. We stopped measuring them, but yeah. no true giants, you know. Well, you managed to get bait, and that's always sometimes like sometimes that can be the hardest part about that whole freaking oh, thing, right? That was not fun. There's no the one man. day, the one day because we came from Galveston, so the one day we were down there on the on the uh the pier that that night, and we happened to see a guy casting at him these mullet, and he's got he's got so many more mullet than he could ever freaking use, and I'm just like. Can I have some of those? You know, just out of nowhere. He's like, Yeah, take as many as you want. So I'm like, fucking fill this freezer, you know? Yeah. <laughs> we still burnt through that. And then we had to go back and get more. So we had to drive from, you know, an hour south of Livingston back down to coastal uh oh god, Bucky's, you know, because the coastal Bucky's has all that bait and whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> we can get some more mullet and go back up because we bought we found this little back road bait shop that actually had cut up carp and whatnot. Oh, that's interesting. But uh, we bought them out and it was, uh, they didn't have much. So I'm just like, well, you know, at least it gets us some, you know, yeah, we didn't yeah. have any prime cuts and uh, you could probably say it was past its best used date. You know, it was, it was getting to the point. It wasn't fresh no more. Right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we, we were able to find bait, thankfully. And then I think basically just enough bait to fish into that last day. And when we ran out of bait, you know, we were content. We were ready to go, go back to the Airbnb, get some rest, and then start our trek north in the morning afterwards. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Well, I know, I mean, I've had trips down there to Texas where getting the bait a lot of times is the hardest part finding a bait shop finding like you know it's nice that you can at least be near the coast you might be able to find some uh markets or fish markets or some some commercial Mm -hmm. markets that might have something fresh on ice but dude it's like it's almost even worse when you get to the river and you see the fish like they're there they're rolling and they're like around i've had this happen to me Mm -hmm. giant ones and you don't have bait like oh no you sit there fishing trying to catch bait in the midst of all these giant fish it's like eats away at your soul yeah man so you so you knock but you knock off that species so you go from arapaima to and obviously some of the catfish to 
the alligator guard. Did you go straight to Idaho? Well, you I know you did some travel like through the Ozarks and things no, like that, we, but we essentially you're home. working your way to oh you went we you went home, home first. first. Yep. We had a few weeks back home. Uh and then my lady, she happened to have an opportunity for a work conference that was actually out in Washington mm. or Oregon, I'm sorry. So it just happened to realize it skirted the Snake River. So I'm just like, I'm not doing anything. I had walked yeah. out of my job in August saying, screw this, you know, I'm going to pursue better later on. I just yeah. took the last half of the year off, you know, let's go. Let's try and check this one off too. So we did. I mean, it was just basically the same thing. The stars aligned, everything felt right. You know, granted, we kind of regretted it when we came home because, you know, we come home and the, bathroom needs a repair we have a leaky ceiling thankfully it didn't you know bust bust but you know but you know and then uh now it's ever since then it's been planning for Suriname here so yeah then uh just kind of just consistently rolling I guess one could say well I've loved watching your stuff like I don't know man I I looked at like your tail end of year 2022 was like dude this guy is this guy's a, like a monster. Like he's just a switch went off and you just started blasting, like knocking them down like bowling pins. The latter part of the year, Arapaima, Alligator Gar, White Sturt, like Keystone, Megafauna, like like global Titan freshwater fish. But um, now, you know, it, it's it's well, I, and I always ask this question, too. I want to like, I think I already know the answer. But like when you come home back to your home waters, like after being on this high of catching these things, can you still enjoy that just as well doing what you've always done? I, I I say I do it pretty well. Obviously, you know, I think once you once you get a taste of what's out there, you know, you're always gonna be craving what's out there because there's always another bite that you haven't gotten on. And that's always been my thing, you know. I get in my, you know, my comfortable species. I've got my home water fish. I'm still just as in love with my carp and my carp fishing. I actually just opened up that guide service here this year to take start taking customers. So one can definitely still very much enjoy it, but man, it's you just don't forget it. And it's it just it's always there in the back of your head. Like right now, I'm sitting here ice fishing these white sturgeon, and I got these buddies out in Idaho catching seven, eight foot. Or I'm ice fishing lake sturgeon. They're catching ice sturgeon, <laughs> and they're catching seven, eight footers. I'm just like, do I just sell this fish house and fly out there for a little while? You know, <laughs> yeah. But you know, at the same point, you you take what you got. You know, I think as I've told you, we are kind of we're looking to transition into moving to Texas. You know, after mm. being yeah. down there and enjoying the surroundings and seeing the opportunities they have down there for both me and her. You know, I think it's a feasible option for us. So, I mean, one could say I'm not satisfied anymore, but at the same point, I, I very much am. I still got my fish I love. You know, when I move to Texas, I'm still going to fly up here for the fish that I love. Blake Sturgeon, the shorthead red horse. Yeah, yeah. And to see if my bones, you know, if we move down there 10 years from now, I fly back up just to catch my little my little koi carp again, see how big yeah. she is. You know? well, never know. There's no, uh, there's no, no reason. I don't, I don't think it ever necessarily like, you don't need to feel guilty about ever wanting to pursue growth or I, I think the adventurous mindset or the adventurous soul, is going to get restless from time to time. I found myself being that way. We've moved 
so many times. I've moved my family, I feel, too many times. But, I mean, we're – I feel like we're in paradise now in Florida, so I'm good to stay here. But I tried for Texas. I don't know if my wife wanted to live there, but for me it was always like Texas or Florida. I was, I was like carpet bombing the job market with applications between those two states, and Florida called first. But uh, So going into this year, now your eyes are set on – Suriname. We're talking about Suriname, and your your target, your primary target there is is what? Piraiba with the you know the well, we are going to get red tails as well. So those are two of them that I have been very anxious to check off the list. Uh, probably the most intimidated, probably more intimidated than I was in Bolivia. Now, yeah, I've been watching these videos of these guys just breaking rods and just drag screaming runs from these fish, and it really, uh, really makes you scared and wonder if your gear's going to hold up. You know, it really sucked to get down there and everything you got breaks. <laughs> well, the general but, consensus I've heard from a lot of like those international traveling anglers is that those piraibas are like top tier, top top level hardest fighting freshwater fish on the planet so man i can't wait to see i can't wait to see that i don't know you're riding into this year with some hella momentum off of the just yeah, hopefully we keep it going I, I got a lot of big plans this year like i said i'm going back to idaho for sure that one's happening yeah um if everything pans out well i want to be in guyana for my birthday november 25th uh doing that whole Arapaima tour up and down the river, that whole multi-species tour. So if that well, pans out well, we can maybe maybe uh, almost duplicate last year. Who knows? Yeah. Well, we'll have to stay in touch with the Guyana thing because if you know things kind of stay parallel, who knows? Maybe we'll share the bank up there. And I got to pick your brain regardless about like, hey, what kind of gear should I be bringing? Like, you know, I get so worried I'm going to show up there with inadequate gear or 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 I, or maybe I'll overpack or I'll underpack. So, you know that kind of thing. I want to pick. I want to pick people's brains who've been there and done it. But um, uh, but I know we're winding down on time. I heard the misses in the background earlier. Uh, yeah. Maybe you got chores you got to go do. I don't know. Oh no, no. <laughs> I got chores. I got chores. Maybe. I got to do. But <laughs> I'm gonna go sit down. I'm gonna have a drink. It was a long day at work. Yeah. No, but, uh, the kiddo was asking if she wanted. She could have Oreos for dang yeah. sweet tooth. But yeah, man, I mean, if Guyana interests you, I got the guy. He runs Amazon River Monsters. His name is Mark. He's a good friend of mine. Mm. I'll be fishing with him here in Suriname and then hopefully returning with him again. I, I believe I'm friends with him on Facebook. You're talking about Mark Bolton, right? Yes, sir. Yep, so we'll, you know. um, I've explored that whole market and looked at the different options. So I know, I know that one's that one's on the table. Um, but I know you mentioned earlier, so I want I, a lot of people, I mean, man, you're a good storyteller, by the way. I feel like you, you really like I know sometimes it can be frustrating. Like I get that way. I'm a big writer. I like writing. Like I feel like I can put my thoughts into words much better. I do a lot of blogging. And sometimes it's like I want to express the, the way that I feel and the way that I'm passionate about this fishing thing. And it's like, ah, it gets like hard to do, but you've done a really good job with it. And you know, some people are gonna be listening, some people can see you, and I can see like the authenticity, but uh, people who want to see, see yeah, yeah, <laughs> people just who um, people who want to see this stuff. I want you to just kind of like I don't know, maybe like where they can find you. You mentioned that you're doing some guiding, so I don't want to let you off here without mentioning 
how they can get a hold of you if maybe they want to do some some of the carp fishing that you're doing. But like, where can they find you? How could they contact you? Name of the guide business, all of that. I mean, Jake Didier on Facebook. That's probably the easiest way to go about it. And then on Instagram and TikTok, I'm Jake on the Lake. You know, uh, but Facebook is where I do most of my posting. It's where I can get more one-on-one with my following and. As well as post the more personal stuff, one could say, you know, that you wouldn't post on Instagram yeah. or TikTok that you don't want the masses to see. But if you have a small following of friends, yep. then you'll see that. So a lot of Harley's fish you'll see on my Facebook, not so much on TikTok and Instagram. Yeah. So. Yeah, Instagram's yeah. real limited in how and how and what you can share. So, uh, yeah, that's awesome. But man, I appreciate you coming on here. And I, I'm yeah, like, you're, you're, you're one of them top guys that I'm kind of quietly or not so quietly watching from the <laughs> sidelines. Cause it's, it's motivating. You know what I mean? I, I have my own, I, appreciate that, man. I, ha- I have my own aspirations. I know a lot of other people are in the same boat where they're like, they're right there. They're right on the edge. of wanting to make these trips happen. So it's like, you were one of the guys I really wanted to bring on because you just did it. Like you just made it happen. So it's, it's yeah. fresh, it's new and, 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 and you're, and you're still going with it. So that's awesome, man. But yeah, I, I appreciate, appreciate you having that, you on man. here. But, Hell yeah. Appreciate but, the opportunity. Yeah, dude. And this will be a good one. It'll be a good one. I can't wait to watch it. I'm going to be watching your last one again tonight. I missed the last episode, but we'll be on it tonight, giving it a rundown, see what, oh, yeah. what it's all about. I'm, I'm trying to throw a lot of diversity in there, and, and, and you brought oh, some, oh. some good diversity. The uh, last one, what was that? A gator attack survivor? Yeah, was yeah that, was, yep. that was a really cool one. That was different. I've got some other people yeah, lined up to have similar things. But anyway, man, appreciate Hell having yeah. you on here. I'm going to let you get yep. to it. Thank you for listening to the Boundless Pursuit podcast. If you enjoyed this show, your feedback, comments, and reviews are very important to me. Also, this podcast is just one element to a much bigger content outlet. I urge you to head over to www.haverodswilltravel.com where you'll find audio, visual, and written editorial content. That is three dimensions of awesome fishing content brought to you by a very dynamic team of anglers. I hope that you'll tune in next week as we continue to build this program and have interesting and skilled anglers each Thursday. Thank you for listening.